G'day everybody, Matt Ellis with you for another edition of the Cricket Library podcast and today we're joined by someone who not only spun a web in franchise cricket around the world. Ah! Oh, that's close. Yeah, given. Bota strikes again. He also led his country with distinction. Johan Bota, South African captain, cricket journeyman, Today, we hear his story on the Cricket Library podcast. Here it is, be running as he hits. Oh, it's a fumble! They're home! A misfield! A great win by South Africa in the final over. It's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast, Johan Botha. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Great to be on the show. Now, Johan, we just heard uh, you playing for South Africa there, hitting the winning runs, captaining your country. To get to that point, there's there's a long journey that happens. And I'd like to start by asking you where your passion for the game of cricket started. Um, I think like most players, it was in the backyard. I've got an older brother and sister um, that used to play backyard cricket. Now, I'm quite a bit younger, but... Uh, Started as a fielder, um, always had to get the balls and um, <laughs> return the ball and never got to bowl or bat. And uh, that lasted for quite a few years. And then when I was about six or seven, um, I would always just carry my gloves and my bat to go and watch club cricket with my dad. Yep. And um, if there was ever a break in play, I would hit balls against the side screen. Um, and then when I got a little bit older, probably... 10, 11, 12 maybe, I would uh, have my wife in the car and if anyone uh, didn't pitch up from from um, any of the club teams, uh, I would be on the field fielding. So that's where it all started. And, um, you know, on the side, it was just uh, schoolboy cricket from, from about age 11. Uh, and you're at the Grey College, which is a, a fairly famous cricketing school in South Africa. What was the influence like there for you? Yeah, it was a big one. I think, um, you know, growing up in, in a smaller town just outside Port Elizabeth, small school, um, so, you know, end of junior school, and like you say, then Grey High in Port Elizabeth, um, was, it was a huge step up, you know, from an Afrikaans background to all of a sudden go to um, full English, um, obviously all the subjects at schools in English. So I must say that first year was a bit of a struggle. Yeah. But um, the cricket kept me going. I think uh, we had a, you know, we got a good team together, um, and we and we played some good cricket. Um, and we had a really good under fourteen team. Um, so yeah, th- that sort of got me through that initial stages um, when other things were a bit difficult. And then from there on, um, you know, great facilities, quality, you know, teammates around you. That all drives you to to want to be better and. Then you break into the South African under-19s team. Can you tell us what that little journey was like from playing high school cricket to stepping up and and being part of that uh, under-19 World Cup? Yeah, that that was, you know, things happened pretty fast through that phase. Um, I must say from arriving at grass or as, you know, new new guy to it all, um, playing under-14 cricket and then, all of a sudden, the end of that um, that first school year, I started playing first team cricket. Um, obviously, with guys quite a bit older than me, so immediately, you know, a big step up. Um, I was only, I think, fourteen, 
Wow. So, you know, playing, playing in the first 11, um, you know, you have to obviously learn on your feet. And I'm there I played with another great team. So, you know, I was predominantly a, a medium pace bowler at that stage, um, batted sort of number eight. And, um, didn't bat a lot. We had a really good batting team. So, you know, I was in the team to obviously bowl and, um, sort of found my feet through there, played, um, you know, in the first 11 from then on. And when, it, when I was standing on, that's when I sort of, you know, stepped up and I had a really good, uh, provincial under, under 18 week to, to get into that SS school team. So, you know, that stage that SS school team was, was, was a pretty good team. Um, you know, Graham Smith, Jock Rudolph, uh, Tommy Tulekile, Albie Morkel. Um, is Jonathan Trott in there as well? Yeah, Jonathan Trott was there, Andrew Patrick. So that's all guys. Johan Marburg who played for Somerset. Um, so all guys who, you know, went on to, to play a lot of provincial cricket. Um, and, you know, three or four or five of them played international cricket. So it's, it's, you know, not very often that you get, um, you know, so many players out of the same year to go on. But, uh, yeah, a very good team, but <laughs> a very interesting under 19 World Cup. Yeah, um, weather intervening uh, significantly <laughs> for you guys. I think, was it Nepal that you had on the ropes and then abandoned game with them four for 24 or something like that? Yeah, yeah, that was game one. Um, our guys batted really well, made over 300. Um, we had them four for 24 and then rain came. So one point each. Our next game ran out and our third game ran out. And in the third game, Nepal played someone else. I think it was Kenya, actually. Yeah, maybe Kenya. They won that one. Um, Pakistan beat Kenya on the first day when we had the rain out against Nepal, and those two teams went through oh. to the to the main side of the draw, and uh, we we were left in the plate, um, you know, playing against America and Ireland and Bermuda. So, you know, as a pity, it turned out that way. There were some some really good teams, you know, in, in the main side of the comp still. I know Pakistan that year had a a really good team. Um, you know, Shoaib Malik. Um, I think Cameron Akmal, Umar Gul, um, Muhammad Fiz maybe. So they had a really good team. So that would have been a nice matchup if we could have played against them. Um, but yeah, that's how things <laughs> turned out. And uh, we played a bit of plate cricket uh, and uh, the guys sort of, you know, still performed, but we weren't really tested. I think in the final, sort of, that was our, obviously our, our closest game and, you know, we still got through that pretty easily. And... The likes of Graham Smith, I think he was leading run scorer in that tournament. Had you played much with Graham at that point prior to then? No, not really. I, I saw him at that uh, provincial week um, earlier that, you know, before the team was picked and um, he had a, a really good week then as well. So guy was always hungry, you know, to bat long, long periods, um, knew how to get big runs. And, um, you know, he certainly did that, of, you know, when he was young and he continued you know, all the way into international cricket. And his technique was probably even worse back then. So <laughs> just just knew how to, to grind out runs. Um, I know we played them one day and I think it was in about 20 or 30 and we just said, we're just going to go as wide as possible outside all. And, um, you know, we, we restricted him for quite a while then. I think he eventually got out. So I think we figured it out pretty well one day, but um, he obviously worked on that and went on to have a very successful international career. Now, you come back from that uh, tournament and not long after you, you get the chance to break into first-class cricket at Eastern Province. Uh, can you tell us a bit about 
uh, your early time playing first class cricket and some of some of your learnings uh, coming into that level of cricket? Yeah, once again, things things just happened very quickly. Um, I was so busy with my final exams at school and uh, made my my provincial debut against uh, Border was the team and. My first ball I ever faced was from Makai and Tini and, um, you know, Bassett Drake was in their team. So that, that is a, a solid team. Um, and yeah, it, you know, it was just a, an experience that I, w- I will always remember. I always say that, you know, you got to make the most of babies because you obviously only get it once. And, uh, even throughout my career, when I went to a, a different team, I always try to, you know, enjoy the debut, make the most of it because it goes so quick. Um, you know, before you know it, the game's over and you're into, your, you know, your second, third, fourth game and you sort of get used to everyone in the team. But that debut is just always special. Um, doesn't matter what level it is. Um, you know, learn from, from older guys during that time. Dave Callan played with me. Um, obviously played quite a bit of one-day cricket for South Africa. Um, Nancy Hayward, the quick bowler. Um, Robin Peterson played quite a lot with Robin. Uh, when I was very young, so you know, learned learned a lot from him, and um, you know, those are the guys you, you sort of, I wouldn't, yeah, almost latch onto early on. You just want to learn as much as possible, as quick as possible, and then, you know, hopefully, as my career went on, I did that for for a couple of other young players. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, with your progression, you, you have about four years playing first class cricket. When when do you start to think I'm ready for the next level? When did did you get that feeling, or did did other people have that feeling, or? Um, I must say, I didn't have that feeling. Um, you know, just bowling medium pace, I was I was okay. You know, I, I was steady, could swing the ball a bit both ways. Um, didn't bowl express pace, and you know, as we know, South Africa, um, Australia, England, there's so many quick bowlers, and so I thought, you know, I'll just do my best to to have a, a decent first class career. Uh, make the most of it. Try, you know, maybe one day play like South Africa A um, if things go well. But um, yeah, at about age 22, maybe 23, had a back injury. Okay. Um, and uh, chatted, or Mickey Arthur was my coach back then. Mark Goucher was in the team, Justin Kemp. And uh, they said to me, you know, why don't you give spin a go? I think, you know, there's obviously big gaps. Nicky Beer was sort of the only spinner at that stage in the South African sort of lineup. And, um, you know, those guys pushed me a bit. I sort of nested around with it a little bit in the net, the odd game in the fourth innings when there wasn't much happening. And they said, well, you know, you could be a seamer and just, you know, be a steady seamer and you'll have to change your action to, to sort of get back to it and, and you know, so your back will last. Um, or you can just switch over to spin. And, and that was the sort of the move that, that Changed everything, um, wow. and yeah, it was you know good for a while, and then there's bowling action stuff. I think we we might still get to that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, how long had you been bowling off spin when you had the call up to play against India in 2005? Oh, it was about ten months. Ten months of you know from as we know it in Australia, Futures League cricket. Played yeah. a couple of games there couple of games, probably three or four first-class cricket, yep. and then into ODI, a one international in India. 
And November you, 2005. And you have a win, you take a wicket. Uh, <laughs> what, what are your recollections of that debut? You say you said just before you loved, <laughs> loved, loved the debut, a five-wicket win against India. How good? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a special match. Um, probably the main thing I always remember and I tell people is the first, the first ball of the game, I can remember Sean Pollock running into Verinda Sawag. Um, crowd going absolutely mad. He just left it outside off. And then the second ball, um, Polly got a bit straight. He clipped it to me at mid-wicket, um, straight to me, and it didn't hit my hand. went straight through my hand. Luckily, it hit my heel, and it <laughs> went straight to mid-on, and no run conceded. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just happy it hit my foot, uh, deflected to mid-on, and, and nothing came of it. But, uh, you know, that's what I, I can remember, crowd going mad, and I just didn't get a touch on it. Luckily, you know, as I said, hit my foot and, and went, I think, under an Al admit on. And he just laughed at me. He just looked over and laughed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, welcome to international cricket. Yeah, just uh, no touch with the hands. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you have that taste of ODI cricket and then you get the call up to the test team in Australia playing in Sydney, uh, a, a generally considered spinner uh, friendly wicket and you get get to bowl for your country what's it like walking out on the ground for your first test match yeah I don't really remember a lot of it to be honest um, I think you know <laughs> back in those days I, I didn't you know I didn't really know what it was all about you're sort of young 23 24 and you just you know sort of take it in your stride you just you know think it's another game of cricket but uh you know, looking back, it was obviously a little bit bigger than that. Um, playing against probably the best team um, in the world at that stage. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a blur. I know quite a few, or I think of old, they got rained out of the game. Yep. Um, and I know we were already down in the series 1-0. So, try to make a bit of a game of it. Declared, I think, leaving Australia sort of 2.30 or 2.40 in 80 overs. Um and Ricky Ponting made his second hundred of the game. That's one thing I do remember about the game. Um, you know, Ponting hundred in both innings. Um, yeah, but the rest of it, I don't really remember much of it. Uh, I remember facing a few balls. My first ball in Test cricket was from Shane Warne. Wow. Uh, faced, faced a bit of Bradley, um, Ben McGrath. So obviously great names to play against. Uh, a powerhouse team at that stage, Australia. Um, you know, Langer, Hayden, Ponting. Um, I think Clark was in there. Uh, Andrew Simons played the game. So Gilchrist. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a, a special team to sort of play against. And and you managed twenty not out with the bats. Um, and then I need to ask you. I know you, your recollections aren't uh, that strong of the game, but first Test wicket, Mike Hussey. Can you talk <laughs> us through it? Um. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's a hard one. I think. Um, I think Hus probably thought that, you know, I might spin a little bit more. So he played like outside the ball by a little bit. We had a, a silly point. So I think he tried to take a silly point out of the game by sort of playing outside the line of the ball. Yeah. Um, and it just bounced a little bit more, caught the inside edge. And luckily for me, it hit the top of his knee roll um, and sort of just looped up to the leg side and Bouch just ran around and, and caught it. So it wasn't caught that short leg or anything. It was just a, a little, a little pop up to the keeper. Um, and I can't even remember what Mark, what Michael actually got at that, you know, in that innings. Um, 
think it's forty odd. Yeah, I just know Ponting played played really well. Um, and yeah, yeah Australia's sort of on the front foot. We try to make a game of it, like I said a little bit earlier, and uh, we had to declare um, early on. I know that Callis and Prince made hundreds in our first innings. Yep. Um, so put a, a nice uh, first inning score on the board, and I think Australia got close, and then we had to declare sort of um, trying to set up a game. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, with Australia up in the series, um, yeah, needed needed yep. to get a result to keep the series alive, and yep. You got Matty Hayden in the second innings as well. Uh, Hussey <laughs> Hayden, uh, pretty pretty nice little combo to to tick uh, off in Test cricket. Yeah, not bad. But I think uh, <laughs> at that stage, uh, at that stage, they probably only needed about fifteen to eighteen runs. And Matthew Hayden tried to hit me into the Sydney football stadium, <laughs> <laughs> ran down the wicket, took the biggest swing ever, and luckily for me, it just you know slashed two points. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the game was pretty much over. You know, if he's batting with Ponting at that stage, Australia's only one down, um, needing twenty runs. So I think they just wanted to get it get it over with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just lucky to pick, to pick up another one. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, talk talk about the the, the serious uh, seriousness of um, having your bowling action called into question. How much of an effect did that have on you and? Um, what helped you get through that time uh, after being reported? Yeah, I must say, at the time, you sort of think, okay, I'll just, uh, you know, go back home. Or I did, I went back home, played the one-day series, because back in those days, you had sort of a 14-day window to get tested, and then it was another 14 days before the results came out. So you're allowed to play till proven guilty. Yep. Um, And I played the one-day series, uh, triangle series against Sri Lanka and Australia um, did okay, but I think we got knocked out in Hobart against Sri Lanka. So they went into the finals, um, and that evening the results came through. Um, yeah, I think at that stage I sort of just you know had a chat to the coaches and the captain, and we just said, ah, oh, you know, I'm just going to leave it for two, three months till the season's over. I just went back to first class cricket, played a bit as a batsman. Yeah. Um, didn't bowl at all, just said, you know what, just going to leave it for now. But then it, it became, you know, quite a big thing. I went to Cape Town probably four or five times at winter to the Sports Institute. Um, they had a camera system like Perth and I think Loughborough's got, and now Brisbane. Um, so, yeah, Cricket South Africa was great through that whole process. Um, flew me to Cape Town sort of every three weeks. Uh, tested things, tried different things, and sort of tried to find stuff that worked. Yep. Um, but yeah, in, in you know, in the background, I was out of international cricket for eighteen months. It wasn't just like you know, go back home, fix it in the winter, and you come straight back into the team. By the time you know, I was doing the test and, and getting ready to go again, two or three guys had, had jumped past me. So you know, I had to go back to first class cricket um, and probably spend a year there before I came sort of back in mid-2008 maybe, maybe towards the end of 2008 in the South African summer. So, yeah, it, it took a while. And, you know, through that time, obviously family then become very important, um, their support, you know, close friends. Um, that, that you know, all helped. Um, you know, like I said to quite a few people, through the years, it's a different kind of pressure. It's, it's not uh, you competing with a batsman. It's you pretty much bowling for your career. 
Um, mm. And if you fail the test, that's it. You know, you can't retest for, I think, two years. Um, and to miss such a long period um, probably could be the end of your career. Um, I, I don't think too many guys will come back from that. Or, you know, they might come back and um, become an okay first-class player or just play as a batsman if they're good enough to do that. But I'm not sure too many guys can, you know, miss two years of international cricket and sort of slot straight back in. Yeah. Um, so there was always that, that little bit of pressure on the side from, you know, you just want to get back. You just had one taste of test cricket. You want to have, you know, more of it. I played probably eight to 10 ODIs and, you know, it got called there. That was from there on 18 months on the sidelines. Um, you know, I had to work hard and, and, and try different things for probably the first six months you know, the whole winter and then found something that we thought um, would be okay going forward. And, and it worked for, you know, quite a while. And I must say in about uh, 2015, sort of around there, 14-15, um, the South African analyst who I'd met, you know, he did a little bit with us when I played for South Africa. Um, and we had been in contact for years and, I sort of phoned him up one day when they were in Adelaide. It might have been 2012 yeah. um, for a T20 series. And I said, Prasanna, you know, can we spend an hour in the net? Because he'd send me some good tips to, to make it even better and smoother. Um, had a good hour with him. And I think sort of the last five or six years of my career, my action was the best it was, you know, ever in my career. So, um, you know, at that stage, after that, I felt I could just compete with batsmen again. Yeah. Where before that, you're always in the back of your mind thinking, you know, what if, and you play against guys who, you know, think they're clever and they make a comment or they always, you know, smile off and say something to the, to the umpire or coaches in the year and, um, you know, questioning your actions. So that was always there. Um, and I've said that too. If once it's there, it doesn't go away. It doesn't matter how good your action is after that. Yeah. Um, once you're in that situation, it's hard to get rid of it. And, and, you know, for me, I think we need to get young players sorted before they get to the top level, even first class cricket. Because once it's there, um, you know, there's cameras all the time and things like that, things stick. And if you're in that, uh, you know, labeled as, as that, then, um, you know, people don't let it go. So that, yeah. that's a tough one. And, and that's sort of where we probably need coaches just at levels below. Even these days on the 19 cricket, you want to have it sorted before they even get there because, um, you know, they get to tournaments, they're on TV, they get pushed, you know, to play sort of Futures League and that stuff quicker. Um, and you don't want to arrive there with any question marks. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. And uh, coming coming back in for the second time around, once you once you had the chance to to get things sorted and get back in the South African team, you get the chance to captain your country. Uh, can you tell us about what an honour that was for you to to lead South Africa in short format cricket? Yeah, huge honour. You know, it's one of the, <laughs> it's probably like most of my career. Everything like just jumped out a little bit at me. Um, I was just planning to come over to Australia for the ODI series with 
three or four other guys. I think Albi Morko was always in in that boat with me. Um, a couple of other guys who just played one their cricket. Um, and, you know, we were just preparing to come over. But just to backtrack a little bit, just that um, that winter, we came over with the emerging team for South Africa to, to Australia, played against the Indian team, uh, New Zealand, Australia. And I was captain of that team. And I didn't even think much about that either. You had some decent players in there, Justin Ansong, Robin Peterson. So guys with a lot more experience than me, um, you know, in first-class cricket and, and at that level, and um, I was a bit surprised to be asked, you know, do you want to captain this, this tour? And I thought, yeah, it's, it's, a, great, um, <laughs> it's a great opportunity, great experience. Uh, I've obviously got a very good team. I had more and more collide. Vernon Freelander, um, they were unbelievable on those club wickets uh, in Brisbane. <laughs> um, so they, they made everything, you know, a lot simpler, a lot easier. And, um, you know, I just thought, okay, bit of experience. And then after that, just, you know, slot back into, into the team and, and carry on. But, uh, then Graham broke his hand, obviously in that set in Sydney. Mm. And, um, I think we were about to leave or we had just arrived and Mickey, <laughs> Mickey called me, um, you know, to his room or on the phone. I'm not sure quite. It might have been to his room because we were just arrived in Sydney, um, sort of day one or day two of the test match. Um, and he said to me, you know what, this has happened. Um, do you want to captain? I was very surprised. I almost fell off the chair because <laughs> you had Boucher, you had Gibbs, um, Callis, Neil McKenzie who was a first class captain back in South Africa, a very successful captain. And I thought, you know, they'll just go to one of those guys. And, you know, I don't think they really wanted to do it. They just wanted to focus on their own game. Obviously, it's tough to it. They've just been in the, in the test series, just won it. Um, and you know, it, it sort of came to me and once again, very happy to do it. Um, obviously got a little bit of a, a touch up in the two T20s. Um, you know, in Melbourne, we, we got beaten pretty easily. David Warner's debut. Yeah. Um, I think he made 70 odd. Br- Brisbane was a much closer game at the Gabba. Um, we batted first on that occasion, put up a decent score and then, uh, I think Michael Hattie just got them, got Australia over the line. Yeah. Um, so yeah, people didn't really give us a chance going into the one days. Um, and yeah, that, you know, we had to, um, put up two record chases in game one and game two. So MCG, SCG back in those days, 270 was sort of the, the record chasing and we chased it both times. Um, so obviously two, two big games to start. Then we lost in Hobart. Um, came to Adelaide in Australia day one year, um, convincingly. And, and, you know, then we went to Perth with sort of our, I wouldn't say second string attack, but Wayne Parnell made a debut, Lon Walbert Sobe made a debut. Um, and yeah, we, we won in Perth by about 40 runs, I think. So yeah, a very memorable, um, tour in the end. Um, you know, things, Turn around. I don't think many people gave us a chance, um, especially after that T20. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Things just seemed to, to go away the whole series. It was sort of, if you look back at it, um, Australia in some great positions. I know in, in Adelaide is one that stands out. I think Australia was sort of one for 160, ponting on about 60, um, and all out for 221. 
Um, and I don't really know how that happened. <laughs> um, and, and same thing as, uh, I might have been the SCG, you know, guys off to fly. I know David Warner, um, smashes around a bit in, in sort of the first 15 overs, those days with the power plays. Um, Ponting again was sort of, you know, got off to a good start, 20 or, 20 or 30. And, um, they both got up close together and then sort of had to work hard to restrict Australia to 270. But, uh, you know, that night, Herschel Gibbs, I think made, you know, he got us off to a good start. Jack Callis made, went past 11,000 runs, um, at the SCG. And, um, you know, the guys just chased well for uh, two games in a row to, to get us into the lead in the series. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, you mentioned that list of names that were potential other captains. H- how did you go stepping in and knowing that you're brushing <laughs> shoulders with these guys and you're thinking, uh, does Jack Callis really want me to tell him what to do? Or like it was a, like a, uh, a good vibe in the group and you just felt like that you could, you could help those guys to play their way and get the results? Um, yeah, I, th- I think they were, they were, well, from my point of view, they were really good about it. Um, like I said, they'd obviously had their first test success in Australia in, in that same tour. Um, so they were, you know, very happy. We had to, you know, sort of lift the guys again. And, th- and that's where we always found those four or five ODI guys coming in played such a big, such an important role. Um, you know, with the test guys, they've either had success before we got you and, you know, some of them could be happy and just sitting back and thinking, you know, we've had a nice tour and it's our first ever test series win in Australia or, you know, in, in the odd occasion, they might have lost a series. You know, I know in England, um, the test guys lost a series and, and sort of we had to come in and, and lift the spirits a bit. Yeah. But, um, you know, they were, they were great. They, you know, supportive. I think in the T20, it was, we were a little bit rattled and we were a little bit all over the place. Um, you know, two or three guys coming to me during the game and sort of it, it looked a bit, um, you know, disorganized, like I said, and, and Ponting even made a, a, a comment in the media about that. So um, we sorted that out, um, you know, sort of just got to one person and Neil McKenzie was sort of made vice captain and anyone had an idea on the field, they had to go through Neil Mack to, to come to me. So there wasn't, you know, sort of traffic around me all the time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was nice that, uh, we sort of were the calm team in, in the ODIs and Ponting and his crew had to run around a bit and <laughs> sort of try to figure things out. Um, and that's certainly what we thought, especially in, in Sydney and in Adelaide. Um, it was nice to see that, uh, you know, they had to, to throw a few ideas around and he had quite a few guys around him. Yeah. Yeah. No, a massive achievement. Uh, 4-1 series win against Australia in Australia with the team that Australia had at the time as well. Uh, outstanding result for South Africa there. Now, you have a, a big affinity with Australia and you end up coming over here to play for South Australia and captaining <laughs> South Australia and then and then being a part of the initial stages of the Big Bash, uh, you have some time at the Strikers, the Sixers, the Hurricanes. Uh, yep. Tell us how your connection to Australia came about and what is it that you now love about Australia? Um, the connection was from Darren Berry. He was uh, coach at the Rajasthan Royals in 2008 and 9 ah, okay. when I played for them um, in the IPL. 
And um, I must say, you know, we kept contact after that, but it wasn't anything serious. You know, it's not like a phone call a week or anything like that. We just sent the odd message. Um, he got me over to play in BBR1 yep. just for four games because I was still contracted to Cricket South Africa. Um, Gary Kirsten and him said, that's fine. You can go for four games. It was about 12 days. Yep. Um, and you go over there, the guys are playing test cricket against Sri Lanka. And then when you come back, you'll be ready for the, for the ODI series. Um, so, so that gave me a, a taste of, you know, Australia as sort of playing, you know, for, for one of the teams. Um, and loved Adelaide. Uh, back then it was still the sort of old Adelaide Oval. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> not as we know now. And, uh, I just love the setup. I love the way Chuck, and Jeff Vaughan and Rob Castle, you know, were running things. Um, really enjoyed the setup and sort of went home, didn't think much of it. Um, my wife, Monica, joined me in Austin. Our, our little one, he was about a year and two or three months at that stage. Okay. Um, so we just came out for, for 12 days. Um, didn't think too much of it. You know, obviously going back to South Africa to play ODIs and you know, your career is still ahead in international cricket. And then that uh, March, Chuck sent me a message and said, you know what, I've had a year in South Australia. I think I need, uh, you know, some more influence on the field. Um, would you like to come and join me for it? And, uh, yeah, we had about a week to 10 days think about it. Um, obviously a big decision, young family. Mm. Um, and, yeah, eventually... <laughs> Uh, we thought, you know, we'll come for two years. We'll give it a go. You know, my theory has always been, um, I don't want to sit one and say, what if? So we thought, let's give it a go. We'll come for two years. And, and then there's an option of a third year. If we really like it, we can, you know, sort of push for the third. Um, otherwise we'll just call it off to two years and go back to South Africa. Um, and yeah, we've always been here for eight years now. So everyone, has sort of settled in really well. Um, I think it was really hard for Monica and Austin, obviously that first year to year and a half. Mm. Um, you know, I sort of slotted straight into a cricket team, um, you know, straight into a season, basically. I played the T20 World Cup in Sri Lanka, um, flew to South Africa a day, maybe two days later, flew out to Australia and a day later played in the Shield game um, at the Adelaide Oval. So things happened very quick for me. Um for the family, it was a bit harder to, to get settled. Um, and yeah, we, we sort of, uh, you know, I said earlier, but we always thought we, uh, we'll make the best of it. We'll try and make it work. Um, and then over the years, you know, we've met South African families here. We've made some really good friends. And, um, you know, Ashley was born here after the, or oh, I think second season. So 2013. Um, she was born. And um, we were still not sure, you know, will we stay for, you know, three years, maybe a little bit longer. But we got to that stage. Austin was, you know, almost in kindy. And then once kindy and school started, it was sort of a done deal. You know, we were happy with how school was going, um, became citizens. Um, and, yeah, now if, you know, and then I played for my second and third year for the Sixers as a local and played for the Hobart Hurricanes as a local. So that was nice. I think I obviously needed that because, you know, BBL teams want, 
you know, the newest and the best internationals. Yep. And, um, you know, if, if I wasn't a local, I probably wouldn't have got to that sort of BBL six, seven, eight. But, um, I think that was Trevor Bayless's, um, vision when he was still in charge of the sixes when he signed me. He said, you know, we'll take you one year as an international and then year two and three, you'll play as a local. And, um, you know, things worked out really well there. Enjoyed my time with the Sixers. Hurricane, same thing. And, um, you know, now when I go on to, to coaching things, I can sort of commute from Adelaide. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And were you playing – you had a couple of stints in the IPL as well and you played uh, some CPL. Uh, I was just going to ask uh, about that experience as well. Franchise cricket, uh, you're yep. the – you're the marked man, so to speak, because you're the, the overseas <laughs> pro. Um, what, what was what was the IPL like? Um, yeah, great experience. I, I got a little taste of it the year that it was in South Africa. That's where I met Chuck. Um, <sighs> and I was only I was only around the IPL team in that first year, Rajasthan Royals, for about three games. So met Chuck, met Warney, was in the team for sort of the last two or three games. Um did okay. Um, you know, I had steady games. And then the next three years I was I was at Rajasthan Royals. Um and then the, I think twenty thirteen went to Delhi Daredevils and then missed the year. And then twenty fifteen played for Calcutta Night Riders. Is that when um, so Chris, yeah was that when Chris Lynn uh were you a replacement for Chris Lynn at Calcutta? Is that the is that the year? Uh I'm not sure. I I don't know. I know Trevor Bayless was coach for that year. Jack Fellas was sort of a mentor. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at uh, that that's when my playing at, at RPL finished 2015. That same year, I went to play one season in the CPL with Trinidad. Yep. And um, <laughs> very interesting tournament. We ended up winning it, but you know we we scraped through at the right times. I would say um, yep. we ended fourth after the. Uh, group stages, then we had to play against number three. Yeah. Um, like with the new fi- final setup as we, as we know it these days. Um, won that game, beat the loser of the one and two game, and then won the final. So wow. from scraping through all tournaments, <laughs> we won three games in a row to, to walk away as champions. So playing well um, at the right end of the tournament, the business end. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's always been, um, a positive for Trinidad. They get the final series in Trinidad. Um, yeah. and it suited us perfectly that year. All the games were at Queen's Park over. We played four spinners, um, on a dry, dusty wicket, um, by the end of the tournament. And, um, you know, our batters knew how to play on it. We had, you know, Jack Callis. We had Cameron Akmal, who's obviously a quality player on the subcontinent. Um, Dwayne Bravo, Darren Bravo. And, and the guys just, I don't know. The batters just clicked. We made enough runs and uh, we seemed to find the way to defend it. Um, and like you said, we, we won three games at the right time to uh, walk away, uh, you know, with a trophy now. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a way to finish up the season. A magnificent result there. And I want to, want to ask about how you came to the point uh, where you knew it was time to hang up the spikes. You, you were playing for the Hurricanes at the time. Can you talk us through that decision and um, what it's been like now that that decision's made? Yeah, it was an interesting decision. I, I think, you know, it surprised quite a few people because I was 
I did have a bit of a niggle coming into that season. Um, I had a bulging disc in my back and um, had to put in quite a lot of work just to, to get on the field for game one for the Hurricanes. So, sort of the first three or four games, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, I knew that if, if I started bowling, I had to either bowl two, three, or four over straight. I couldn't, you know, stop and come back. So, and I, and I never liked, to, you know, playing that way, you know, to be a, a bit of a passenger in the field. I could only field in the, in the ring. Um, but anyway, got over that. Um, the physios, you know, doctors did, did you know, earn their money in, in those few weeks. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I got a, a coaching role with the Multan Sultans in the, in the PSL as a head coach. Um, so that sort of forced me to make a decision maybe a little bit earlier than I wanted. Um, because you know, in franchise cricket, you have owners who, who put pressure on you. Oh, you got to be, and, and I just felt it is the right thing to do to be there from the start. You know, as a head coach, I didn't want to arrive at the PSL after game three. So you've missed the, the lead-up week. Yeah. Um, you've missed the first two games. And, you know, I just felt I had to be there from the start. Um, and the Hurricanes were, were obviously going really well. Um, I think we'd won eight or nine out of ten. So we were already in the finals. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that, that was a hard decision right there. You know, do I stay in, and play in the finals? And there's no guarantees. And I think that's what Colin Ingram said to me. He said, you know what, you can say you guys can win 12 out of 14, you can lose the first semi, and you can be out of it. And then you'll always think, I should have maybe gone to Pakistan and, and be there with my team from the start. Um, so, yeah, that that decision you know, surprised a few people at that stage, but I just felt after 10 games, we were already in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Let me stop now. There's still four games to go. Let Case Ahmed... You know, come into the team. We obviously still had an international spot available. Um, I was a local, but Tamil Mills um, got injured before the season had even started. So we only played with Jofra um, as our as our one international. Um, so there was always that one slot available, and uh, you know, Nick Cummins, CEO, and uh, Griff was was really good about it all. Um, you know, they they sort of said, you know. <laughs> obviously understand your decision um, and you know you, you feel you've got to be with the team and, and you know we didn't go as well as I wanted in, in the PSL but I still think you know it was the right time um, you know as a, as a coach now and, and I think coaches understand that you want to be with your team you want to you know lay that foundation I've seen that the last two years with, with Guyana and the CPL mm. that first week is the most important week of the tournament if you can lay a, a good foundation, um, you know, give your players their roles, and from there on, uh, you know, the guys just go into autopilot and uh, get onto the field. And you know, there's obviously a little bit of coaching through the tournament, but not not that much. You know, if you can get lay the groundwork in that first week, and, and that was, you know, we I, I wouldn't say we did that perfectly last year at Guyana, but we did it very very well. The guys played their roles. You know, we won 11 out of 11 um, to <laughs> to get picked in the final, which wasn't the ideal finish for us. But uh, I just felt that, you know, that first week, everyone felt comfortable. The guys enjoyed each other's success in, and each other's company. And um, I will still maintain, you know, in any team that I go to or franchise team or state team, 
that preseason groundwork is is vital. You know, if you can get that right and everyone's comfortable, um, you're well underway for the season. And what are your aspirations going forward? What what are your coaching aspirations in the future? Um, I think for now, I've got the CPR coming up. If if I'm allowed to get there, okay. Um, with with everything happening, um, the tournament is. Uh, penciled in, I think, at the moment for 15 August to 11 September, so quite a bit shorter than usual. And um, I think maybe only on one island, possibly two islands, to re- you know restricted to traveling. Yep. Um, so at the moment, that's sort of my next uh, venture. And, and after that, I'm not really sure. I know <laughs> I know South Australia is looking for a coach, so I have applied for that, but haven't heard anything. Um, I did work with uh, Karachi Kings in the PSL earlier this year with Dean Jones as an assistant coach and I had a great time. We we had a really good team there again. Um, Dino led it very well. And um, so, you know, if, if that goes goes ahead, obviously next year as, as usual, um, I'm sure I'll, I'll be back in PSL. But uh, no, I'd love to do something closer to home. Um, it's, these franchise tournaments are good. You know, it's given me a great start in coaching. But I still think, you know, I would love to do a state team or Australia under 19. I think that, that's sort of a nice level for me. I think that's almost an ideal level. I would love to, you know, work with an international under 19 team um, or a state team or like a futures team, um, you know, lay the groundwork. Um, for me as a coach, I, I like to be on the tools. You know, I like to throw balls, hit balls, yep. um, sort of be hands-on. Um so yeah, that that sort of it's hard to say in coaching, you know, you know what's around the corner. But uh, I think that's sort of a, a snapshot in the next two or three years if, if it all goes to plan. But um, you know, the franchise stuff has given me a nice start, and um, I must say, Guyana has been an unbelievable experience. Um, you know, the two years I've been there, we've, we've unfortunately lost in two finals, but you know, I've been with some great people, um, the West Indian guys. Obviously, they're all hungry for success. You know, the, the international team haven't always nailed it in the last few years. Yeah. Um, but at the CPR level, you know, it's very competitive. And, and you know, same as PSL. I think PSL is probably the best bowling competition in, in the world. Um, you know, all the local bowlers have got some excellent skills. Um, and, and in that tournament, you'll see, um, you know, most teams sign international batters because the bowling is so good that you have to have quality batsmen. Um, so those are the, the two tournaments I've been involved with in the last three years. Even while playing, I, I did you know, a couple of those tournaments. Yeah. Um, you know, IPL, that's sort of what, what most people chase, but I don't really know. I, I can't really see getting to IPL at the moment. Um, most, you know, those eight teams have all got their staff list um, unless, you know, someone... You know, really wants to, to make a big change and go for a younger coach who, you know, might have different ideas. But, um, it's hard. You know, what I've heard a lot in the, in the last two or three years is we want the experience coach and it's hard when you're younger and, and you haven't got that experience yet. Um, you know, how do you get the experience? Someone's got to give you that break. Yeah. Um, and I've been lucky with Guyana. You know, they took a, a chance to me. I was, I was still playing cricket at that stage. Um, and I think it was just word of mouth. Someone just said, you know, I saw him 
at uh, Hong Kong Blitz and he, and he was a player coach and did really well. And then the players, you know, sort of enjoyed him and, and respected him. And I think we should give him a go. And, and that's how it came about. Um, the Guyana role. And, um, you know, I'm hoping for the same thing. Things do change quickly, but, um, you just have to be, try and be patient in that time. I know it's hard. That's probably the hardest thing to do. Um, to be patient and, and wait for things, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying my best <laughs> at this stage and, uh, you know, hopefully something opens up and then from there, you know, there's a bit of a flow on effect and, and you get a couple of, you know, roles on from there. Yeah, absolutely. We're certainly wishing you all the best with that and, uh, balancing things as well. You, you've got interests outside of, uh, cricket. You mentioned your family. Um, also understand, you do a bit of long distance running. What, 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 um, what gets the fire in the belly going uh, for you to, to make you want to run long distances? Um, I think I just, from a cricket point of view, I miss the competitive side of things. Um, you know, I miss competing. I, I don't miss, the, you know, the days away from home and, and all the prep. I, I do miss the competing, you know, out there on the big stage competing. Um, and I think this is sort of something for me to, you know, compete and and keep those, uh, you know, like you said, that fire burning a little bit. Um, uh, running specific, I always, you know, when I was with the South African team, I used to join the physio, the trainer, um, the coaches, all the coaches I played with for South Africa used to be long distance runners. Gary Kirsten used to enjoy running, Corey Pansel. Um, so I would join them for sort of 8 to 12 Ks five days a week um, before training in the morning, early morning, wow. um, all over South Africa, all over the world. Um, and, I, you know, probably just to jump a step back, I, I'm from Port Elizabeth and that's sort of the Ironman capital of, you know, Africa, of, of the South African race. Yep. And um, I used to watch, you know, amateur athletes train, go for a bike ride in the morning, and swim at lunch, run in the evening. And I thought as a professional cricketer, I just go to training for, for an hour and a half to two hours, and then I go home and do nothing. Mm. And that sort of just flicked the switch a little bit with me and started joining the bike ride in the morning. So I'd ride 50 k's with, with a bunch from probably 5.15 in the morning till about 7, get home, have breakfast, and, and then go to cricket training. So that started my life for the endurance stuff. And Sort of in the last few years, it's, it's, it's been running. Um, you know, even in, in these last few months, I've, I've really given trail running a bit of a push. Um, so I want to do, you know, some extreme adventures. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, even give it a go, see if I can sort of, I don't know if I'll become a, a professional trail runner, but, you know, aspire to, to be, you know, become one of the better ones out there. Um, so putting in the work, um, yeah, that's obviously, you know, it's just a drive at the moment. You know, there's no big crowds, there's no, um, you know, big prize money or whatever. It's just you trying to get better every day. Um, so, you know, that's sort of my drive at the moment. Um, I think for people around me and then sort of my family, it's just to, you know, show that you still need to keep working hard. Um, and, um, yeah, there, there's, there's 
a race that I prepped for this year was a hundred miler in the Flinders Range, and, and that got cancelled oh. <laughs> um, because of all of this. And so I decided, probably two weeks before that, that I was going to run a hundred miles around our block. Oh wow! Which, uh, is, is a 1K block, so I did 161 laps of it, um, and it took me 21 hours, 58 minutes. So That's incredible. You know, yeah, so I've, I've, I sort of like the extremes. I'm, I'm not quick enough, you know, to, to run a marathon at any of these elite cast pace. Yeah. Um, probably even 100K will be a bit of a stretch. So I think my ideal, I'll, I'll still give it some time, but I would love to, to you know, push the limits further than that, like 100 miles. Um, there's a couple of races around the world which are ridiculous, go to 200 miles. Wow. Um, and then there's obviously stage races, which I think I would love to do one day. Um, they are quite pricey, the, the Race to Planet events. You know, there's four around the world. There's one in Morocco. There's one in Chile. There's one in Southern Africa. And they, they're all six-day events, and you cover 255 k's in in the six days. So that's sort of something I want to give a go. Um, I think for me, I need to go longer. Um, like I said, I don't have the, the leg speed or the sort of background where, you know, guys run sub 245 marathons. Yeah. Um, I don't have that. My best is only a 322. So I, for me, I've got to, I've got to go longer and try and be tougher than, than others. Um, so to, to give myself a little bit of a test, I'm going to do a section of the Mawson Trail in the July school holidays. So I've got a couple of guys who's going to crew for me. Um, so I'm going to do my own like little stage race. Wow. And uh, I'm going to do 308 k's in eight days. Wow. <laughs> I'd love so that's to. About, yeah. That's about 38 a day or on, on average. There's, there's one day that's about 50 and there's a day that's about 30. Wow. Um, in there. That's very, very <laughs> impressive. I'd love to hear how you go with that, Johan. Are you be posting that on your socials when you're doing that? Yeah, I'll definitely, I'll definitely. So I've been sort of hinting at it. I haven't given it away yet. So we, um, have we got an exclusive scoop here on the Cricket Library podcast? Yeah, you do now. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I think my ultimate with, with, with the trail is the Mawson Trail is 900 kilometers, the full distance. Um, and that's from Blenman in the outback all the way back to Adelaide. And I think one day when I'm, oh, I wouldn't say one day, hopefully in the next couple of years, I want to give that full trailer a, a bit of a crack and see if I can, um, do it in about 14 days. But that's obviously big days then. That's 80 Ks a day for 14 days. Wow. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I've said these stage races are quite expensive. I know the, the four I mentioned earlier sort of, Three and a half thousand US per race. Wow! Um, and that's just race entry. That's not uh, you know accommodation, uh, flights, getting there, whatever. That's just the race. So I thought you know there's such beautiful trails in South Australia. Um, I might start with something close by um, and uh, give that a go and see how I go. And then uh, if that goes to plan, um, hopefully. Towards the end of the winter, a few of the races, local races open up. The Eurobella Trail, there's a Heisen 105-kilometer. Um, and, yeah, hopefully the, the one that I did train for, the Hubert 100, the 100-miler, would, uh, would be May next year. Excellent. 
Oh, that, that sounds outstanding, Johan. I I take my hat off to you. That's very very impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I, like I said, I just I really enjoy it. Um, I like the challenge. Um, it's obviously some early mornings. So I try and um, you know get most things done before the family sort of get into the day. So um, you know. Keeps me, keeps me motivated, keeps me moving. Um, I'm doing a virtual run around Australia currently also. Yep. Uh, it's called, it's called Run Down Under. And, um, you know, it's 14,080 Ks around Australia. And, uh, I've done about 9,200. Wow. So you just do that in your own time at your own discretion. You rack up the Ks for that one. Yeah, so you, you log it onto obviously Sunto or Garmin and that goes onto Strava and then Strava downloads it onto the Rundown Under app. Wow. Um, and I started with that the 6th of December 2017. Wow. So it's, 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 it's taken me about two and a half years to get to this stage. So I've gone through Perth. I'm sort of heading east again. Yeah. Um, and I'm about 2,200 kilometers from Adelaide. So it would be nice to, to get through the, to the hometown. Yeah. Um, and then after that, there's probably about uh, 3,000 Ks to go. Oh, you'll be on the home so, yeah, stretch. That, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a nice motivation. You know, when you do all the training, all the events, um, obviously all of that counts towards it. And then once you've done it, it sort of gets you going again. Because I know with a lot of people I speak to, they sort of have their, their one or two races a year. And, and once they hit, you know, hit that goal, they sort of go flat for two or three or maybe even more weeks after that, um, where this this has certainly helped me, even if it's just, you know, a few walks the next week after a big run, um, just to, to keep things going, keep it ticking over and, and just slowly make your way around Australia. Yeah, well, that sounds outstanding. And it's good to have that motivation to, to keep yourself going and keep getting the best out of yourself after you've finished playing professional sport. We need to wrap things up, Johan, but before we do, we've got one final question and this is very popular with our listeners. (laughs) We we, we like to ask if you could have a net session with three people. They could be living, they could be no longer with us. Uh, I think Graham Manu last time, his ultimate net was Warney, Morley and Bradman. And, and I, I gave him a bit of a pass to sort of stand behind the stumps and, and keep wickets while that was going on. Who, who, would okay. you, who, who would you like to have in the nets if you could, you could have anyone? Sheesh, that's, a, that's a great question. I think my number one would be Roger Federer. Yes. Um, I just, just love, you know, everything about Roger. Just his, you know, his way on the court, how calm he is. Obviously a legend. Um, so he would be number one. Um, from there it gets a bit tougher. <laughs> um, oh, I think at the moment, Eloy, is it Kipchoge, the Kenyan runner? Yeah. Um, he's obviously, I've, I've watched a lot of him lately, you know, that breaking to, um, that 159 he ran is obviously, you know, the best in the world, um, at what he does. Uh, I would just love to <laughs> – we could have the net, but I want to go for a run with him afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, Did you have any bunnies, like any any batters that you fancied yourself to knock uh, over? or My old mate Ricky again, maybe. I'll have Ricky back. <laughs> <laughs> 
he gave, he gave me a hard time in my test debut and sort of the T20 series after that. But uh, I reckon in my career in, in wide ball stuff, I've probably got him 10 or 11 times. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we had our battles on the field. Um, really tough guy to play against. Didn't give you much. Even in that 2009 series, um, you know, when we were opposing captains, he would hardly say hello to you at the top. Wow. Just so hard to play against. Didn't give an inch. Um, but yeah, it was, it was nice to, to get him a few times. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't know why. I think he probably thought I, I spun the ball I never did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the old straight break. To, yeah, it just seemed to, to, you know, to get him into a little bit of trouble. And, uh, yeah, at a, I think, yeah, that's a good call. I might just have Ricky there as, as a bit of a, as a wicket. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, it's it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure spending the last little while with you, Johan. Thanks so much for being so generous and so honest uh, in in your reflections on your career. And we really do wish you all the best with family life and uh, career prospects and uh, your your running pursuits into the future as well. It's it's been a real thrill having you on the Cricket Library podcast. Thank you very much, man. It was, uh, yeah, great chatting to you. A massive thanks to Johan Botha for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast. A very enjoyable conversation with a very passionate cricket person who continues to inspire a love of cricket in those that he's working with as a coach. Very interesting story, his journey as a player, overcoming adversity early on in his career and coming back to thrive and continue to play at the highest level and achieve the success that he did as a captain for South Africa and also in his franchise cricket as a player and now as a coach. He balances it all with his family life and his long distance running. A very interesting story indeed and very thankful for Johan joining us on the show today and very thankful to you, our listeners, who tune in to each and every episode i really do appreciate it thanks to all of you who have left a review on the podcast provider that you listen to that really does help get the world out word out there and for all of you people that are telling your friends i do appreciate that as well we've got some great stuff in the coming weeks for you a former australian fast bowler who had an ashes victory for australia we've also Got a very prolific run scorer in first-class cricket coming up as well. So make sure you stay across your podcast feed and tune into those when they arrive. But it is time for me to say goodbye. This has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library podcast. Bye for now.